happy hour. This is Laird. This is Becky. Have you noticed that uh, we really just have that to open with? I'm okay with that. Yeah, I don't think we need anything like, fancy. Welcome to Insurance <laughs> Happy Hour with your hosts, Becky Schroeder and Laird Rixford. <laughs> And then you know, add all the all the flying in effects and all that type of stuff. Well, right? we do have that epic music. Well, the, the the music is epic. It just you know didn't know if we need to go get some uh, voiceover host or something like that to go, you know, to come in with a you know do the like the, the rock DJs. Yeah, Ooh. yeah with your host uh, <laughs> Becky Schroeder and Larry Rexford, it's Insurance Happy Hour. <laughs> No, no. All right. Well, then, then we'll, then we'll just uh, continue doing doing what we're doing. So it's uh, Friday. It is Friday, and I feel vindicated. What? How's that? I was reading an article yesterday uh, that says a study has found that find your passion is awful career advice. I exactly, exactly what, what I said, said so, several weeks ago. So you're so you're like okay, and, and where's the study from? It is a let me see. First of all, this the story was in the Atlantic for anybody who wants to find it, and I'll put it in the show notes, of course. Uh, I think in Stanford they did this study. Okay. And the paper is coming out in Psychological Science. So, I mean, but, is, is it stated? I haven't read it at all. I did see you tweet it, but um, it, that was this morning that I saw you tweet it, I guess. Um, so the question is, do you go find the thing you hate? No, their point is there's two mindsets. That one is a fixed theory of interest that all of your passion is fully formed. You just got to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. And the second theory is that you develop your passion, which is my argument that anything that you're interested in, you didn't you didn't get interested in it. It wasn't that interest wasn't fully formed. You had to develop that interest. True. True. But what if, what if your interest is uh, developed? I guess all interests are developed in some way, shape, or form. Exactly. Because I mean, I am a computer nerd, and that interest was developed whenever I was oh gosh, six, seven years old. Right. You had a spark, and you yeah you that ignited the interest, and you just followed it to discover that you mm-hmm. developed a passion for it. Yeah. Coding. Coding on a Apple IIe with logo and a Commodore sixty four and your old magazines where you you would write code directly out of the magazines. I, you know, not that old, <laughs> but it's still crazy that uh, the the change in the internet or change in computers since then. I mean the the power that you have sitting in your pocket with your smartphone is just light years ahead. I mean I. The, I could tell people in the eighties that they would had no clue the power that it is. Even like what the forward thinking like Star Trek and Star Wars, what they were thinking of what it would be like, they missed the mark. You know, yeah. later in Star Trek Next Generation they did kind of have the tablets and all that. But I can even tell you now the tablets are thinner, more powerful, you know, more connected than those. I've seen were. you code on your tablet. So you to go from coding on what was what was Apple II you said? Yeah. To your tablet. It's just insane. Uh, Exactly. And, you know, it, it always it, it amazes me whenever you're flying in a plane with Wi-Fi and that Wi-Fi for some some uh, airlines is satellite based. And so you were, you know, surfing the Web, 
that the connection is going to a satellite from a plane going 500 miles an hour, then that is getting beamed back down to Earth. It is going to hit a site, and that site could be anywhere in the world, and all of that is being done nearly instantaneously. I mean, faster than you could even open a book. You know, if you had the entire encyclopedia on the plane, yeah. you know, and you needed to look up something, you could, on the plane, look it up on Wikipedia or wherever faster than you, you could. So te- technologies just completely change that. And, you know, back to your whole passion thing, that's it, – it's it's cool to have a passion and a, and a thing that – continues to grow you know technology you know getting into artificial intelligence and neural net learning and new ways to code quicker ways to code it it, it's neat to have a passion that can continue to grow now what do you do in a passion that is dying what do you do if if your passion is dying for whatever reasons you're a you know, you're, you're a uh, toaster repair person. You love repairing toasters. Are toasters dying? Uh, well, no, no. We've hit the point where, though, it's a you know throwaway society. Yeah. I mean, it's cheaper to fix or cheaper to buy a new toaster than it is to fix a toaster. Mm-hmm. So now toaster repair people are like, <laughs> I've lost my passion. It's going away. Ah, it's just an example. But – I mean, how did you how did you get your passion in, into what you do now? Well, I, it started when I was lo- looking at what major to pursue in college, and I had always enjoyed English and writing and reading more than any other subject. Mm-hmm. So, what I looked at what careers could I have with those skills? Journalism seemed to be a natural fit, so I, that's what I chose as my major. And then, good choice not going into that these days. Journalism journalism is a shit show. There's still a lot of people who have very a lot of passion for journalism, and I I respect that. I'm just I'm just talking about this uh, 50 50 society here. Yeah, I know. Um, But while I was in school, I was talking with my advisor, and I didn't really have an interest in doing hardcore journalism, working for a paper or a, a news station. But what interested me more was business. And so I decided to follow the path using my journalism degree to public relations and then got my master's in marketing Mm -hmm. to just kind of round out that discipline a little bit more. And that's where I started. I started in public relations. But how did you really develop the passion? There was no roadmap. I just kind of followed what seemed like the next right thing yeah okay. you know it started with this is I, I enjoyed english i enjoyed writing what can what degree f- can i use that interest in learned more about you know that industry mm-hmm. decided no i think business is more where i'm suited and so i took a turn from journalism into business but but what i'm really seeing here is that the your your love of the english language or, or the written word is actually the passion that's underlying. It's underlying, yes. Yeah. So go back to that. Where, where did, where did you get that, that come yeah. from? I've always been a big reader. Well, being I mean, a big re- reader versus writer, what what was the – or you going, hey, I want to read and well, so I want to create? I think I, the two are related, right? You can't be a good writer without being a voracious reader mm-hmm. because that's that's where you learn the craft is by reading other people and what they've written. I, I have a question. I, I'm 
I'm grumpy. I'm, <laughs> you know, uh, that's an interesting episode already. Yeah, this I'm grumpy. Y- you know, I've been. I I don't believe in in looking whenever we talk about the news and um, you have CNN and Fox and CNBC and NBC and all these and they they all have all these different viewing uh, varying viewpoints mm-hmm. and I've. I've become very good. I'm, I'm a quick reader and I read a lot, but I try to read both sides of a story. Read the exact good for same you. Most people don't. Yeah, exactly. Read the same story on MSNBC and Fox. Read that together, or find something on you know Huffington Post and Breitbart. <laughs> like, oh, <geez. laughs> just like complete sides of the conversation, here. and then you try to find the middle. Right, and you know that's where the truth is. Generally, that that is where the truth is. One of the things, though, that I've seen, and it's become, and it it really hit me just yesterday reading a couple articles online. Just bias and mm-hmm. um, opinion, and also just really crappy writing, yep. is starting to become kind of the norm. I, I mean, I see spelling errors. I see. Oh, that irks me so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about uh, on. I saw it on CNN. Yeah, two spelling errors in the same. It wasn't even edited. Yeah, and or not edited carefully. Correct, it, whatever it may be. And I'm not talking about a you know you your and your. I'm not talking about something that you know you read. It's spelled correctly. It's just wrong word usage. This is just a flat out misspelling. And I'm like. Okay, Laird, you're a horrible speller. I know that. I'm I, a judicious use. Hey, of, I've, oh. I have edited your writing, and your your spelling is not that bad. Yeah, because word <laughs> catches <laughs> all your mistakes. Well, yeah, whenever that little red squiggly line shows up underneath my my uh, my text, I'm generally pretty happy. Then <laughs> it's like, thank you, Bill Gates, for putting that in <laughs> back in the '90s. Uh, but whenever I catch a word. And I'm like, that, that's not a speller. And then I'm like, oh, okay, you're a horrible speller. Go, just go throw that into a spell checker just to make sure. Boom, it's spelled wrong. I'm like, okay, I knew it. It's just amazing that, and this gets back to something that, uh, you know, circling around to, you know, our day job here about uh, writing content. It seems like all the organizations out there are all driven on just continuous, quick, up to the minute content. And really strong investigative journalism has completely gone out the window. It's, you know, people are reporting, uh, this happens all the time on all the major news sites. They report on Twitter. Mm-hmm. They, they literally say this tweet was said and then, you know, they break their, on their, their synopsis. And then it's like the next one is, um, this is what someone replied. This is what this, blah, blah. and then it's just a whole bunch of tweets embedded inside of a, a news article. And I'm like, okay, well I got Twitter. I'll just stop coming to here. And so I, you know, that's why I say journalism is got a rough little spot because even organizations that come out going, hey, we want to do investigative, long-form uh, journalism, they eventually just fall into the trap of providing crap. Have you well, seen that too? Well, investigative journalism is expensive because you're not putting out those quality stories. And all it doesn't the, get clicks. Not as much, yeah. right? So you have – if 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 they're trying to do more investigative stories, you also have to balance it with getting the traffic and the clicks to pay for that investigative reporting. Mm-hmm. So that they're, that's why you see a lot of that. Yeah, I, I just and where where I bring this back to you know our insurance chit chat here instead of us just yapping <laughs> on Friday <laughs> is that uh, 
that we we need to make sure that whenever you're writing content as an agency or as a carrier or whoever in this industry, that you're just not putting out crap. Mm-hmm. That you're just not writing words to have words written. Right. Real quality pieces of content really pay off. I mean, and that's also why I don't write as much for ITC anymore. It's not I am busy, blah. But I really try to write the articles that, you know, I'm like, okay, this that is no a, one else can write. Yeah, this is a thought piece. This is right. something that I put a lot of effort into that I've looked at, I've seen it from, you know, whatever point of view. And there's been a couple articles, I won't name names on them, but you know, it's not they they get posted on ITC, but I could probably make the case I was writing that article for a competitor's product. Right. Because it's you know, you have to that that's quality journalism is that whenever you don't have a, an agenda and today's agendas are just horrible. And also I still don't get why it's 50, 50, the country it's like, you know, let's get into a politics talk show now. No, no. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, but you know, why, why is it 50, 50? It's like every election is like right down the middle 50, 50. I didn't know if like, it was like, you know, as you're, as you're getting born, you get your 50, 50 car. You're like, okay, here's yours. Here's yours. Here's yours. Here's yours. And you're going one, 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 one. And then it just goes, it's really weird that it's just 50, 50. You don't have this really strong 70, 80% votes on this type of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride over the past uh, couple of years. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I do also. I want to. I want to tell you, mm-hmm. the author of this article in the Atlantic about the study on following your finding your passion, same woman who wrote the article about the fast food around Dallas. Do you oh, remember? No <laughs> kidding. Yes. No, I don't. Well, you like her for she. That was a total clickbait article. <laughs> it was. And, and the thing is, is that I read it again, and I think that she was genuinely. Thinking that she was doing a decent article, but that was a horrible it article. Was horrible. It wasn't even. It, it's like, uh, well, hey, when you're in California, if you want to try the local flavor, go to the In and Out franchise that's on every other corner. Hey, you want a good coffee? You know what? You need to try Starbucks. That's some good coffee. You can get that anywhere. It's good coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> it's the best coffee in Dallas. It's when we best. have independent coffee shops, like you know. So anyway, yeah. Whenever you have a, a coffee, so. Uh, Right, right near our office is a uh, a place that actually roasts their own coffee. Yes, and by the way, coffee roasting stinks. It does. It, it smells like burnt popcorn. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's not you know grinding and and doing all that type of stuff that that releases the flavor after it's been roasted, but before it's been roasted, oh my gosh, it's horrible. But um, you know they're going to open this this new little cafe down the road, and it's it's within walking distance. Do you think uh, many people will walk into that from our offices? Yeah. Just in general, general, general. I don't, it, the location is weird because it's it the way the highway interchange is right by it. There's not a lot of traffic that goes directly in front of it, mm-hmm. so I don't know. But there is also this. Uh, housing division right here where you have a lot of people going out yeah but to it doesn't work. have a drive-through 
No, it doesn't have a drive-thru. And but- you got to go inside and take an elevator into the third floor. <laughs> like, I'm really running out of ideas of how this place is going to work out. I don't know. I'm going to th- try it, though, just because we ha- the options directly around our office are somewhat limited. Well, I think that I, I think the real thing that they're doing is they're creating as kind of like a showcase of all their stuff. Oh, and yeah. I think they're going to invite their customers to try it. You know, so they, they are a supplier. It's, a, of- it's kind of like a, a showroom. Correct. Essentially. They're, they're a supplier for coffee and, and stuff for us. In offices. For offices. Yeah. So I think bring them in and, you know, I, I bet you they'll have like a conference room table in the bar, in the, in the, the cafe. Yeah. And then you're sitting down having that discussion. That's that's where I'm going. Okay. I hope they did it that way. That would be my kind of game. That was one of, one of my favorite things about working at Starbucks is when we would have, you know, team meetings and it would be like sampling of coffee and everyone just gets around and has a cup of coffee and talks. It was, I, I loved that. Still, so, so, uh, and then yesterday we we had a we, we have two happy hours in a row today and and yesterday, <laughs> and that that was a that was a lot of fun. So it, it, it seems like everybody's kind of dragging a little bit today. Uh, we yeah. had a all office comp- company happy hour. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, what do you got this week? So the insurance digital revolution. You familiar with them? I hope you are. We're a sponsor. I, I guess. <laughs> Oh, wait, we sponsored this? Yeah. Well, we sponsored the organization. We didn't sponsor the study. Okay. I was going to say, you know, then 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 it's biased. I won't even believe it. But no. if we're just sponsoring the, the organization. We sponsor the organization, which is uh, – I know I know Applied's also doing it. Applied and, is. I think Vertifor. Yeah. Um, anyway. So they're, they're just a conglomerate – not a conglomerate, excuse me, but a, a group of – Think tank. Sort of, okay. Yeah. Trying to promote digital technologies in the industry. Oh, talking okay. about digital. Okay. So they did this uh, digital transformation survey, the second one that they've done, Part to un- <laughs> to understand agents' use of technology today and how they need to transform to serve the consumers. Okay. Um. Let, let me give my my two cents to start. Sure. Is that. I think that right now we're hitting a nice point where I'm not sure that agencies um, have not ad- adopted technology. I think most agencies have really started to adopt technology. Right. And it's more their mentality. And then they need to change themselves from being just old school insurance agents to the new school. Right. It's interesting that that is your point because mm. one of the first things I wanted to talk about was in this survey, 95% said technology is important or very important to their success, which you is think- Is that current or future or both success? I would assume current and future. Okay. Yeah. But what's interesting is in 2016, when they first did this survey, that was only 58%. Damn straight. Yippee skippy on that. So you're spot on in that people, that agents are, are coming around to the importance of technology. I, it's the only way you can compete. Yeah. And it really, it's the only way you can compete and you have really, to really any technology except for like, you know, basket weaving or something. I'm sure they've, they've used technology <laughs> in basket weaving now. <laughs> but, but the survey, they have four key themes that they talk about. The first is agents are shifting the balance from eternal internal efficiency to customer experience. Yep. Which I think is is accurate because when we were at Elevate a couple of weeks ago, that was one of the main topics of conversation was how do you use technology to improve the customer experience? The second theme 
most of the focus is at point of sale. So they're focusing on their customer facing technology and streamlining that. Well, uh, of course. And I, I don't like to belittle, you know, technology in the insurance industry, but people always put this emphasis on, you know, agency management system or policy. Let's call it policy management system. There's very, very few management systems that qualify as an agency management system. They are really good at managing policies. They are not good at managing the agency. If they were good at the agency, they would also have built in full CRM. They would have built in the ability to manage the client before, during, and after the sale. Most policy management systems, that's why I call them policy management systems, are only once the customer is a client. Mm-hmm. So very few are actually really good at that. But yeah, go sorry. So the third theme, there's a I digress. Dr- you did. There's a drive to redefine the service experience. So they're help. They're trying to help customers who want to help themselves and using technology like portals and stuff to help them do that when and where the customer wants to. It must be late in the day because I just whenever you said portals, I was thinking portal, and I was like, well, it would be really cool. You'll shoot a little thing, and you jump from one wall to another wall, and I'm like, oh, you're a nerd. Sorry. (laughs) And the fourth theme is that many of them are – they understand the need and the importance of cybersecurity protection, but they're not prepared for cyber threats. That's that's an absolute. I know. And that's the scary part. That's the scary part of this whole survey when I read through it is I was excited to see that so many agents are coming around to the importance of technology in their businesses, but – the fact that so many are not prepared for the cyber for any cyber threat is is the scary part. I think that the industry as a whole isn't really there yeah. on the cyber. Is that speaking with many many organizations in the industry, it's they, you know, you go, wait a minute, you collect PII, you are sent PII on a regular basis, and you don't maintain a certain level of security for your your environment. And, you know, I've, I've heard that I've seen and heard that with vendors. I've heard it with carriers. I've heard it with agencies. It's just amazing how lax we are on this. And I can assure you that uh, agencies and carriers are known targets and they are actively in vendors as well. They are actively uh, tempted to, you know, be breached right. at, a, at a common time. So, but the other side of that is, is the cyber is expensive. You know, doing uh, mitigating risk on your network, mm-hmm. removing access, having the proper levels of cyber liability insurance is expensive. And most agencies have not budgeted for that. Most carriers haven't budgeted for the reality behind it of, of how much information they have and how much they need to protect. And to be perfectly frank, is that a carrier that holds a million policies – you know, the cyber risk on that in terms of fines, uh, you know, credit monitoring, all of that stuff is over a billion dollars just for a million customers. It's yeah. over a billion. It's and expensive j- to try to protect against it, but they're rolling the dice on not having a breach because as I've seen you talk about and I've talked about, the fines when you have a breach and having to pay that back can put a person well, out of business it's it's and in the, then it's the uh you know it's fine a local fine thousand dollars 
federal fine, $100, credit monitoring, you know, $149, whatever it is for a year of credit monitoring. And you have to buy them all up front. You can't just say, well, I'll buy them as they use them. You've got to buy them all front. You know, 149 now sounds like a master of a car commercial. Uh, the harm to your reputation Bound, you know, priceless. Effectively, it's not priceless. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's unbounded yes. at that point. And the, <clears throat> that's the other side that there's a lot of people that just sit there and look. He's like, listen, if we have a full scale data breach, we're done. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're we're toast. And more than half businesses that have a cyber uh, breach are out of business within a year. Yeah, um, that was one of those cool metrics that I saw one time. Yeah, so. They one of the questions they also asked is what is a barrier for you to using digital technology? And the biggest response was cost, which I don't think is too surprising. Yeah, I, that 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 I gotta I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on this one a little bit because you know what? There's a lot of a lot of people that are are stuck on using very old antiquated legacy technology that cost a lot of money. Mm. There's a lot of new things out there. And an agency management system is a good example. Is that many agency management systems are a hundred plus hundred two hundred dollars plus per month per user. I mean that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. But there's there's new options out there, and people should always be uh, reviewing and renewing their interest in their technology and seeing what technology works for them because you might not be using all the features of your agency management system, and you might be able to save some costs by going to another management system that doesn't offer everything that everybody needs, but it offers everything you need. Right. And well, might- actually, in here, they uh, they had a stat that said 33% of the respondents had changed their agency management system in the last year. Yeah. I'm seeing massive changes to management systems is that cost is becoming an issue. And you have a couple of very large providers out there that charge a lot of money. And, you know, everybody would love to charge a lot of money, but whenever there's 30 different agency, 30 plus agency management systems vendors out there, there's a lot of choice. And so I could see, and we do see a lot of churn in the industry where people are like, well, I was using X and now I'm moving to Y. Right. I hear a lot of talk about people saying, I wish there was a perfect management system that did what we all need it to do. And to your point, every agency is different. So there is not a perfect management system that's going to be perfect for everybody. It's what's going to be perfect for your agency. Yeah, and we see this all the time going to trade shows and people are like, well, I wrote my own agency management system and I'm thinking about selling it out. And I'm like, you know you know that like more than three quarters of all management systems out there were written that way. They were written with, hey, we are looking to – you know, they built an internal system. And they go, hey, this is a really cool system, and they try to sell it externally. The problem is is that that workflow doesn't work for the agency down the road, and right. then it's instantly done. So the only way you can actually do it is to – a. there's a few ways. A, build your agency around the workflow of an agency management system and stick with it. So you build it from scratch that way. B, write your own. Or C, find a way to suffer. Or change, which is hard. Well, no, I'm saying suffer with whatever options are right. out there. Right. So this next stat, I have mixed feelings about. 7% of the respondents rate their website as excellent. Only 7%. Okay. All right. 
Do you want to know why I feel I have mixed go, feelings I'm, about I'm it? I'm going to let you go because because you know I, before I, you start on your rant, I can I, see I'm, you I'm getting feeling, up on your soapbox. I, I feel I feel a little bit of bile. <laughs> <laughs> so we sell websites oh. at ITC. A lot of them. We are the largest provider of insurance agency websites in the country. Mm-hmm. We are, of course, a little biased. We think our websites are awesome. They are awesome. They're, they're great. Yes. So I, I don't know what the breakout of this survey was. I don't know how many of the agents who took the survey may have been, may have have a website with mm-hmm. us. So it could be not many of our customers took it. And so, okay. Or we could have had a lot, in, in which case I'm going, man, our customers are not that happy with their websites. But at the same time, I look at this going, Clearly, there are still agents out there that we could help. Yeah, that that need help. Right. The, where where I think the the real di- disconnect is is expectations. Yes. Is that having a website? People say, "Well, I have a, I have a website. I'm now going to get a thousand leads a, a week." That has been an actual expectation that a customer has provided to me. Mm-hmm. Or they're alone. Well, I I thought whenever I get at this website, I'm going to have all these leads come in. No. And I. You know, in this, there, there was one customer who was, you know, was getting one or two leads a month. You know, it was just really paltry. It wasn't great. And then one of those leads came in, ended up being a massive account. And they just frankly looked me square in the eye and said, that one account paid for your website for the next 10 years. Just that one account. Right. And, you know, so everything else from this point forward is gravy. I think that agents, um, really anybody that has expectations of what a website should be, should have reasonable expectations. Right. Because I think that that's where the, that they rated their website excellent or what was that? Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, well, how many were good? 33%. 33%. Mm-hmm. How many were bad? It didn't say bad. It says excellent, good, and average. So average is 36%. Good is 33%. Excellent is 7 Okay. Oh, so there was no negative? Not that they reported here in the All report. Right. I'm sure there was some who thought their websites were terrible. Yeah, well, they, then so you just the other do the one, math. I don't have a website, which yeah. is even, even worse. Yeah, that, it, again, I think that it comes down to the expectation of, of the client is how much they're looking to what, – what, the, what are they looking to get out of their website? Right. Well, I think there's also a misperception that you build a website and it's done. When that's not the case, your website needs to be a living entity that you're constantly, maybe not constantly, but you're continually trying to improve and and modify according to how your agency changes and the design changes. How your business changes as a whole. Right. And, you know, yeah, no, I, that's absolutely spot on. Right. But interesting, now only 7% said their website is excellent, but 57% said they get leads from their website. So even those who think their website is not excellent are still getting leads. Well, of course. Websites work. Yes. And, you know, if you're paying, you also have set a level expectation is that if you're paying $2,000 a month for your website or you spent ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 to stand up your website, you've definitely got, you know, uh, you've got some leads to make up. But like, you know, on our websites, you're looking at total three-year cost of ownership being under two thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. You know that's three years, two, um, three years. Nice-looking, great website, fully hosted there in that unti- that entire time, being less than two thousand dollars three-year TCO. That's 
that's pretty good. And that, that could be easily made up by just a, a sale or two. Right. So, uh, it's again, you know, whenever you're paying twelve, fifteen thousand dollars for a website and then you still got to change it and you still got to maintain it, you got a lot more room to work up to it. But then every three years, you know, with us offering free website redesigns every three years on the platform, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you get to refresh the look and feel while keeping everything under, underneath. And I think that that's a, that's a real thing that helps agencies go, okay. I have a great website. I have a good website. We'll mm-hmm. say good. And, um, you know, but it's reasonably ca- um, priced so that, you know, it's really doing, it, it's still returning on investment. Right. And that's how you have to look at all technology is how, how much is this saving you in, in time and money? And like on a comparative writer, you have, you talk about a comparative writer. If you're rating more than one company, more than one, that means two, a comparative writer is faster. Because the other the sites might change, um, you're only spending one amount of time to put it in. I we've we've seen this all day long, and so technology is only. And then with then you look, it's like okay, well, I do three quotes a month. Then you don't need a comparative writer, but I do three quotes a day. It's easy on the time it's going to save you. Right. So people need to look at technology on both sides of that. Right. So. It- Another thing that I thought was interesting is that 47% of agencies are using claims download. That's up from 40% in 2016. Yeah, that's in as more and more carriers open it up, I think it's great because then you can run a marketing campaign off of it. You can market on, hey, the agency can market on the claims and they have a better insight and it allows them to own their their client uh, much better. Yeah. So now I, I see that, that, that continuing, I think that, you know, once really we get past all this insure tech AI, we really get settled really strong in the industry. I think that carriers are going to start funneling more and more data down to the clients, to the agents mm-hmm. and, and allow them to better manage the relationship. Yeah. And that's, that's another finding in this survey is that the majority of the agents said we need more carrier support of digital initiatives like download you know, support of training and and e-signature and stuff like that. So I think agents are definitely wanting carriers to, to as you said, give them more data. Yeah. Data's king. Exactly. But I will put uh, the link to this survey report in the show notes for anybody who's interested in reading the full thing. There's a lot more in here that we have not had a chance to talk about. That is is fascinating. Maybe next week. Maybe next week we'll talk about some. Maybe dive a little bit more into the cybersecurity part of it. Sounds good. What are you up to this weekend? Uh, well, my husband's side of the family. We're doing July birthday celebration because there's five of us who have birthdays in July. So, oh yeah, you got a birthday coming up here. I do. At the end of the month. Huh? I do. I do. Yeah. Mm. I'm having a hard time with this one. Oh, why is that? I. Do. You're going to look at me and be like, you're stupid because I'm five years older than you. But I feel like it's the start of middle age that I'm I'm no longer a young adult. I'm officially in my middle age now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just – Welcome to the club. Thanks. It's it's fun. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> yeah, because you know, then, then you, you can start getting grumpy. I can, I can start complaining about my knees and my back and – Yeah, and, and taking naps and, <laughs> and being perfectly okay with it because it – Oh, it's it's fine. It just 
what, what, what gets you is that whenever you really start realizing and you were giving me crap about this is that when you start feeling old, like whenever you actually go, well, crap, I'm, you know, all these, these words that kids are using these days and you, you sit there and see some kid walking past your house and you're like, get off my lawn. And, and you actually literally think that you, and me, I sit there and I was like, what is this kid doing on my lawn? What, what? You don't, can you hurry up? And I'm like, oh man, you're an old person now. <laughs> well, you know, the first time I felt really, really old is I was at Costco and I saw this, this, this young, young, young woman dressed in the clothes I wore in high school. She was wearing overalls. She had the little baby tee and she was, you know, a backpack purse. I'm like, that, that was hot when I was in high school. I am officially old because the trends from when I was in high school have come back around. Uh, it's it, shopping is actually where I I feel the oldest is that whenever you start looking at something and you know I was I was just kind of perusing and it was I guess it was Sam's it was Sam's and I'm just you know aisle by aisle and getting the normal food stuff and all that type of stuff and then I get to the appliance aisle and then I'm sitting there looking at uh, an Instapot and I'm like. Oh yeah, you know, and then like for the next four or five days, I've been thinking about. Well, I'll I need to go back and get that Instapot. You know, <laughs> what can I do with that Instapot? And you start thinking about. It, it's like, wow, whenever your dreams and thoughts are <laughs> buying the latest Instapot model, you're in trouble. I had to get a new washer and dryer recently because my washer pretty much uh, fell apart, and I was so excited about that. I'm like, this this is when you know you're an adult when you're excited about buying an appliance. No, oh, that's uh, no, no, it's <laughs> you. Uh, so what are you doing? I don't know. I I, I think I'm going to uh, take it easy. I think taking it easy is, is what I, what I need right now. It's yeah. just a nice weekend off. I was thinking about, um, you know, I've been trying to get, get with my instructor to go flying, but the weather has been horrible. And there's been a lot of rain and it's, recently. It's these in the, you know, there, it's these small little pop-up thunderstorms yeah. that are not fun in a small plane. No. Because <laughs> one of those can throw you 10,000 feet up, you know, in an updraft or slam you on the ground the same way. Right. And so I'm like, all right. And every day it's, you know, it's starting to look nice. You know, it's looking really good outside. But th- then- this has happened to me like two or three times in the last week or two. I get to work. It's sunny. There's not thunderclouds in the sky. And my weather alert that morning didn't say anything about rain. Mm-hmm. And because it's summer, I never actually checked the weather because it's just hot. Yep. Right? Just every day, just hot. So I, I'm like, okay, well, no rain looks like today. So I'll crack my windows open because we live in Texas and it gets so hot. So I crack my window so it, to release some of that hot air out of my car. And then in the afternoon thunderstorm and i'm running out to my car <laughs> to close the windows yeah i i was sitting there walking there and it was starting to come down hard that one day i started walking around the office close your windows because i looked out in the parking lot and half the windows were cracked and i'm like go close your windows go close your windows yeah oh. i love i love thunderstorms it's just whenever it messes up uh, my plans to do something fun it's uh it's not much fun well this too shall pass yes but uh, all right, well, it's uh, been fun chatting. Yes, don't forget to check the show notes for the links to the articles if you want. Subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in. And if you have any questions um, or want to comment on the survey, what we've talked about, finding your passion, how did you find your passion, let us know at contact at insurancehappyhour.com or on Twitter. I'm Becky L. Schroeder and Laird is L. Ricksford. 
Oh, Rick's Ford. You always got to pronounce it correctly. Rick's I, Ford. Rick's Ford. And you know what? I, I have family members that give me a little crap about that. It's like, why do you say, you know, because a lot of them will say Rick's Ford. Yeah. Bird. And I'm like, Ford. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's always my touchy point is that I don't like people screwing my name. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my one. He's very touchy. You, on that. you can, you can, you can mess with me nine ways from Sunday, but. You uh, you mess with my name, I usually will give you a little. He gets very grumpy about that, (laughs) and I'll comment right back. You know, (laughs) if you're messing with me and you do it, and I'm like, "All right, Buster, you know, let's find, let me pick you apart too," you know. But you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I just i i i can still hear your voice when you called me to ask if I could come in to interview for the job. How you you pronounced it, Rick's Ford? Like I can still hear that. Yep, Laird Rick's Ford. Yep, I, I do that. But, uh, well, it's uh, been fun, and, and as always, thanks for listening. So do you know what my passion, I think, was whenever I was growing up? What? It's being a smart ass. <laughs> it's still your passion. <laughs>